Join us for this episode of Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 70 of our Nature Centered podcast. And today we're going to talk all about birds bringing the world together through the Great Backyard Bird Count. How cool is that, Brian? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, if you imagine, how ambitious would it be to attempt to count all the birds in the world over a single weekend? That's pretty (laughs) crazy, right? (laughs) That is pretty amazing. But birds really do bring the world together. We've talked about it here and there on the podcast. No matter where you go, there are birds around. So that's what the Great Backyard Bird Count is all about. Taking a single weekend, trying to count the birds of the world. And we have a special guest returning. And she's going to bring us some really excellent tips and information. And why would we even do this besides it being (laughs) fun? (laughs) All right. Well, stick around, everybody. We're going to have a great show. All right, Brian, how cool is this? We have Becca Radomsky-Bish with us today from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, the person that's behind the Great Backyard Bird Count. So just right off the bat, let's welcome Becca Radomsky-Bish. Thank you, John and Brian. It's lovely to be here. I appreciate having me back this year. Oh, we're, we're excited to have you back, Becca. We had a great time talking the Great Backyard <laughs> Bird Count last year, but there's so much going on. There's new stuff. And we really want to dig in this time and and bring a lot more of the why and why get involved and man, what are we learning? So lots of really cool things about GBBC that's been going on. We're kind of of surprised you're brave enough to come back and visit us a second time too. (laughs) You two are just so fun to to spend an hour with. So why not, right? I love people that love birds. We try. The check is in the mail, right? Thanks for saying that on air. So Becca, tell us, and I got the name right this time. Becca, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and and everything at the uh, at the lab. Sure, yeah. So I manage two projects, and this time of year, I am deep in the one project, the Great Backyard mm-hmm. Bird Count, which is our big annual count. We are actually in our twenty sixth year of running this event, so it's an, an ongoing event, and it's it's kind of a trifecta. Uh, project. We also work in collaboration with the Audubon, um, National Audubon Society and Birds Count Canada. So all of us kind of come together to make this thing fly. Um, And it's just a very fun event. Its real intent is to try and engage um, new and passionate birders. So people of any level, whether you're really a beginner or whether you're a full-on expert and travel the world to find birds, to come together and kind of like Brian articulated, let's see how many we can get in these four days. Um, and it's a very attainable uh, kind of um, ask. We just ask that you watch birds for 15 minutes and tell us literally what you see. So it's not a have to go to the far corners of the world to participate. Whatever you are seeing on your walk in the morning, over your cup of coffee or tea, we want to know about it and uh, and pull those numbers together so we can have a better sense of, of where uh, birds are and, and what's going on in terms of bird populations. Yeah, and the numbers from last year that you guys pulled together were amazing. I mean, we're talking, what, almost, what, 71,000 or 70, 7,100 
yeah, different we species. Yeah. yeah, just over seven thousand species. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah, you think about just over seven thousand species. There are just over ten thousand species of birds in the world. Yeah, yeah, puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah, you had over 190 countries participate, which is, we talk about bringing the world together. There you go, right there. 190 countries. Wow. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, yeah. And then, what, almost uh, over 380,000 participants worldwide? Wow. That's a big project to manage, I tell you. <laughs> It is. It is. It's really creating a life of its own. You know, people year after year that find this enjoyable are bringing their friends and family in. And I think that really is what counts for a lot of our growth. And as you have articulated, truly people from around the world, some some countries only submit a checklist, but we'll take it. Um, yeah. Checklist is amazing. And that's where it has to begin. Right. And then it can grow. Very cool. Yeah. I love hearing that it's 26 years. It's this global phenomenon now. Uh, you know, Wild Birds Unlimited has been a, a founding sponsor, and we're still a major sponsor for it. So we're really, we're really excited, proud to be able to do that and have that partnership. Um, but yeah, thinking about your responsibility now of after all these years and how big this has grown. Uh, so, and I love too. You said anyone can count the birds wherever they are. Whether you're on a walk, whether you're watching birds in your backyard, whatever it is. Um, so what do people really get out of this? You know, why, why jump in and, and participate in GBBC? That's a really good question. Um, I have always found, and I'm sure in your work, maybe you have found this too with your listeners and, and um, WBU customers, that birds just have this special ability to connect us immediately to the natural world, um, whether it be their sounds or their colors or their behavior, they're captivating. And as we have, we're found, finding even more, even in academic research, the natural world is a healing um it's a healing source of, of, of um, energy and connection for humans. The more we look and listen and pay attention, the, the calmer we are, our blood pressure goes down, our sense of, um, you know, uh, love and endearment of what's around us that's green and biodiverse goes up. And so one of the things that I think people get out of participating in the GBBC is that connection. It's that sense of well-being. Um, and we can focus on what's there, not what's not there, or what's good and not what's bad, right? So um, we saw this a lot during the pandemic that people really turned to bird watching because it was, a, it was an escape from some of the other pressures that were going on. So people find joy. People find joy in watching birds. And then we can provide a project where they can not only connect to the birds, but they can take that next step and contribute to science. And that science we can then use to better understand, you know, how birds are doing, where do we need to focus conservation efforts, et cetera. Yeah, point well made. I, I, I think Brian and I for many, many years have been trying to, in a sense, articulate that connection to nature and that, that sense of joy and, and wellness, you know, personal mm -hmm. wellness. And, and the fact that there's now research is starting to quantify how that really does work that way. You know, and there's lots of, some people, art does the same thing. It brings that sense of joy and, and wellness to them. And there's lots of things in, in the world that, that people can connect to. Uh, but birds are certainly, and bird watching and, and feeding birds in your backyard certainly are in that group of things that you can do every single day, literally. 
and, and bring that joy and wellness into your world. So that's that's very very cool. So so this is part of the the kind of the citizen scientist movement that's generated over the last you know twenty years or so. And and you think about it, you know, scientists don't. don't it's not easy for scientists to give up control, if you will. You know, they they got their lab and they've got their their protocols and everything else. And it's like you know to turn it over to just you and I, you know, the citizens out here in the in the world. Uh, that's that's been a remarkable change in science, if you will, in the last, like I said, twenty years or so. Absolutely, citizen science was fought a lot of battles in the early years of, of scientists saying, how do we really know, right. you know, I'm not sure. Um, but time and time again, in the last, specifically in the last uh, 10 or 15 years, we've been able to demonstrate, listen, if you create a tight protocol, you're very clear about what people are doing and that can be replicated. I mean, that's essentially what, what scientists are doing, right? Um, and if they follow that protocol and we can demonstrate that they're doing so, that data is very valuable. I mean, who can be everywhere all the time. How many scientists really can realistically find almost 7,100 birds in four days, right? Like impossible. But if there is people everywhere and we can engage them in that, then we can really go to the next level. So citizen science has finally kind of made its way into mainstream data. It can't answer all questions, but it can provide a lot of data. And then the scientists can then take that data and analyze it and then begin to act ask and answer bigger questions, which is really exciting. Yeah, I I appreciate how the Cornell Lab of Ornithology has really been able to put those scientific parameters out there for citizens to be able to do the citizen science. And so as, as a citizen scientist, you really don't need to worry about much. It's more about, I just, I got to watch the birds. And the, the most thing, the, the biggest thing I probably need to think about is, did I identify the bird correctly as best I could. And there you go. That's right. And beyond that, you just answer a few questions if you're on the Merlin app or if you're an eBird and filling out information or on Project Feeder Watch and just follow those protocols and you you all make it very simple and easy. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) 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 We're not stepping up too much. That's great. I, I do have kind of a little bit of an out-of-the-box question in regards to, uh, you know, eBird is is so cool, and the Merlin app is even cooler. I mean, it, you talk about some an app that if if you're not a bird watcher and you've never experienced, you know, birds and trying to identify birds, there's a, an app that Cornell puts out called Merlin, and it has multiple ways to identify birds that you can put in, you know, different color, data, size, R, you can record. You can actually open up the microphone on your phone, and and the, the the app literally tells you what the bird is, and it's pretty doggone accurate. It's amazing. Uh, can, if I'm doing uh, the Great Backyard Bird Count, Becca, can I just use those? If I if I do the the Merlin app and I'm listening to birds and it's listing those birds, can I put those birds into my list and? and submit those? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up, John. Yeah. Merlin and eBird are the two tools that we use for the data. So the GBBCZ event, and those are the two tools that we lean into for a lot of the reasons you just stated. It's Merlin in particular is very easy to use. If you are new to birding, it helps you identify them whether it's telling us what colors they are and where you saw it and the time and day and, and so forth, or whether it's recording them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, I don't know about you two, but my ability to um, learn more birds in my area has grown substantially using sound ID. When I would go out on a typical bird 
walk, I might get 20 or so species. And now I get almost 40. It's almost doubled how many I can get because I'm able to record the sounds. And the way that you would do it is you can do it one of two ways. You can, you can save that sound to the Macaulay library, which is sort of where our audio and visual go um, and tell us right there in real time that that's the bird you want to add to your list. Or what I frequently do is I hear the bird and then I look into it a little bit more, learn about the bird, and then I'll go back and add it to my eBird checklist. So you can do it either way, but absolutely, please count those sound IDs. They're, they are authentic data and, and it's very accurate. Merlin yeah, is surprisingly a- accurate. It, it's amazing how accurate it is. And, and, and as an old timer who's been around and, you know, struggled for years <laughs> to learn my bird calls and songs, it's like, this is too easy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and young whippersnappers got these tools and, you know, <laughs> I struggled for years and I listened to recordings and, you know, yeah. So, but in all candor, I love it. It is a fantastic uh, tool. So oh, that is for sure. I, I got a little story to that. Playing the or recording using the Merlin app, listening while I was down. I was in South Carolina over New Year's, and I went birding um, for an afternoon. And I'm listening. Merlin is listening. I'm listening. And then Merlin pops up there. A winter wren just called. And if you've ever heard a winter wren, they are generally not quiet, and they generally just go and go and go and go, and they want everyone to know that they're there. And, uh, and I could not get it to repeat. Well, Merlin had picked up this winter wren, and it was just a brief snippet, and it's got a little sonogram to it. And once I got out of the field, I researched more into that sonogram. Was that right? I kept listening. I kept listening, uh, going to the Macaulay Library, looking for other sonograms, and it was spot-on accurate. And through that research of my own, I was able to learn another vocalization from a winter wren because it wasn't the long song and it, it wasn't the typical little chip note that they'll make. It was just this extra little sound that hasn't been recorded very often, but it has been recorded. So that was really cool. And to know, yeah, Merlin is, is still learning those sound things, but it's really fun to help teach you. Like you were saying, you've learned so much. And yeah, here are us old dudes who've been learning for <laughs> calls for years and we're still learning. It's fantastic. Oh, that's great. But that brings up a good point, Brian, not just Merlin and Macaulay, but eBird, all these tools get better, the more that people Mm -hmm. use them too, right? There's this AI piece of it, that Mm -hmm. we become more accurate with our identifications, the more that people are actually engaging in this work. And it is really exciting, especially in the wintertime for your listeners that may want to participate in GBBC in February, you may find that bird songs or calls or chips are different right now, because we're not quite yet into breeding season in North America, right? So it is really, there's there's just this wealth of, that's the other piece about birds. There's this wealth of knowledge and you can go as deep as you want to, or just stay on the, oh, that's a pretty bird level. There's just a lot of potential for learning. Yeah. That brings up an interesting, you're talking about, you know, pre-breeding or pre-migration, you know, we're, we're and I think initially GBBC was put together to kind of take that snapshot of what birds were doing just before migration starts and, and breeding activity starts. And and now that we're global, <laughs> that kind of that kind of parameter kind of fell away in a sense because, you know, you're now global and you're you're in parts of the world that it is summer and and you know, it's so it, it's kind of a different snapshot today than maybe what it was originally. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Originally we really wanted, uh, this was, this was really an experimental project and, um, not everybody realizes, but GBBC predated eBird. So it was this, we really were finding out whether people would actually watch and submit birds to us and they, and they did. Um, and so we focused on North America and for exactly the reasons you said, let's get a snapshot. Where are the birds now? Um, and then we can kind of measure that in a summer count or actually we do a spring count and then a fall count and do some comparisons, but it's kind kind of neat to bring in the rest of the world because now we can not only do, say where are birds in North America, we can say some of our birds in North America right now are being reported in Central and South America and Mexico. And that's phenomenal. And so if those numbers, you know, are significantly different with the counts that we do later in the year than they are earlier in the year, wow, you can begin to see how scientists may be really curious about why. What, what is the difference um, with, with that? So lots of potential. The global piece just brings in a whole nother um, sort of phase that different birds are in. Um, obviously, some birds are still nesting, right? So when we do GBBC and globally, we might be getting more birds that are actually in the middle of their nesting cycle. So lots more information that we can gather now that we're doing a global count. Well, that's very cool, Becca. In regards to you know, again, the, the what you're learning, can, can we what can we drill down to some of the things that we've we've learned through the the data that we've collected over these what twenty some odd years for GBBC, and and what have we learned? Yeah, that's a great question. So GBBC is one of those projects where we all the data from GBBC goes into eBird. Um, and so it goes into a larger database where we're collecting data year round. So GBBC has the potential to sort of be comparison data, right? We can look at this at different times of the year for different species. Um, in 2022, G, uh, GBBC was a part of the eBird data and it was used in about 159 publications. So there's lots of people that are asking lots of questions, but sort of some of the general overarching themes that we're seeing with birds that GBBC data contributes to is we unfortunately are seeing a decline in birds. Um, and this is not just um, sort of the exotics that maybe we don't have many of, but it also is some of our just day-to-day -day birds. People are reporting less of them, um, which is obviously disheartening. And, you know, the questions are being asked why and what can people do to, to switch that so that we are not losing birds, but we can actually start to bring our birds back. So that's a that's sort of a sad um, thing that we've observed, but we've also had good success rates. So um, in the 1950s and 60s, there were some real major changes to sort of how we were managing forests. And now our woodpecker numbers are higher than they were back in the 50s and 60s. But we wouldn't know that if we hadn't been monitoring birds and we hadn't been collecting this data over time. So a lot of general trends can be found. Birds are, are moving and staying further north in their ranges. We're able to see hummingbirds staying further north, specifically in the Pacific Northwest, higher than they ever have. So um, these kinds of counts can keep our fingers on the pulse of where birds are when, um, seeing them in unusual places is very interesting. We're already seeing a lot of eruptions happening this year. I have about 34 birds, uh, evening grosbeaks that are down from Canada at my feeders right now every day. Oh, they're amazing. Um, and so these counts affirm those kinds of natural processes and or sometimes alert us to these natural processes that birds are engaged in. No, it's wonderful. And so that everyone knows, man, just because you help count the birds wherever you were, over a four day weekend. These are the kinds of things that science is learning that then 
you all share back with the public. And like you said earlier, what is it, 159 different studies? We're talking scientific kinds of studies, like important research, and we're learning, and then we know what to go do conservation-wise elsewhere. So that's really cool to know, man, my contribution of watching 10 different birds at my feeders or 50 different birds at my feeders, whatever it is, is really helping. So, yeah, so for, for you know, individual participants, I think, you know, you can find everything you need to know on how to participate on the GBBC website. And it's very simple, as, as we've talked about a couple of times. So if I'm a family, if I'm a birding group, if I'm a school group, um, can I do it as a group as opposed to an individual? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why our numbers of checklists and Merlin submissions are different than our number of participants, because you can tell us, I went on a bird walk and these are the birds we saw, but there were 20 of us. So you can report an eBird that 20 people participated in that checklist, even though it's just one checklist. Um, and we're, we're seeing that time and time again, teachers are bringing their classes on board and maybe they put feeders up and build feeders as a class and then they're counting, but they only submit one checklist. Um, the teacher will kind of pull everybody's observations together and enter that. So yeah, and that's the fun thing about kids. My my um, son and I do Project Feeder Watch, which is another citizen science project, and he'll stand at the feeder and tell me what birds there are and how many of them, and I have, you know, the device entering them. He's a little young. Usually it's the kid that wants to use the device. Um, we'll probably be there in a couple of years, but it's a great thing to sort of bring different people in and yeah, team up. It's sometimes more fun to watch birds with other people. And you can watch, you can submit more than one checklist over the four-day weekend. Yes. Yes. As many checklists as you want to. Um, you can submit multiple ones a day, one in the morning, one in the night. You could submit just one. Um, there is no right or wrong. And that's another reason why this is really fun um, and attainable because it's it's got it's got pretty loose boundaries. We just ask that you watch and report for at least 15 minutes. So if I'm somebody listening right now and I'm thinking, hey, this might be pretty cool. I, you know, I might... I might give this a try. What would you recommend, you know, and they're going to do it from home. They're going to count the birds in their yard or their backyard or whatever. Any suggestions on what people need to do to kind of prepare and, and get ready to do that? Maybe in their yard or what, whatever area it might be. Yeah. Well, you guys are the experts I hear in the yard preparation. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'll let you speak to that. But um, in terms of the count itself, I would say go to our website, birdcount.org. And we have laid out sort of the different tools, Merlin and eBird that you can use. So thinking ahead about that. And honestly, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm using a tool for the first time, I can get a little flustered in real time. Mm -hmm. So maybe downloading whichever tool you think might be the best one for you, whether it's Merlin or eBird, downloading that ahead of time. We have mobile apps for both eBird and Merlin. And then there's also an online computer um, entry form for those people that would prefer to use the computer. So I would say from my end in this project, uh, go to our website, make an account, figure out which tool you want to use if you've never used these tools before. If you're already using these tools, you're in. All you got to do is log in on the day that the count starts or whatever day you're going to participate and participate. But I'm curious to hear about you guys. What do you do? Do you do anything <laughs> specific or special to get your yards ready for this count? Well, I know I do. I kind of tidy up all my feeders, make sure they're fresh and clean. And then I get lots of different feeders out with lots of different foods. And pro tip, one of those, 
I get it ready a week beforehand so that the birds are already familiar uh, and and they know to be coming in. Uh, I, so I like a lot of different foods. One of my favorites we, I talk about every winter, millet. Having a, a good quality seed blend that's going to have millet or just straight millet and do some ground feeding scenarios. Uh, little ground feeders, little ground trays, or hopper feeders with a good blend. Um, can't forget suets. I know John loves suets too, and I think about, mm -hmm. man, all the different areas in U.S. and Canada that have uh, warblers in the wintertime that love to come into suets or to suet products like bark butter, and yeah, you don't want to miss out on those. Those are They're just cool. John, what other yeah, things thing do you I like? would think about yeah, think about it would be kind of multi-fold uh, in the sense of what is the best time of day? You know, watching my feeders now, if I want to really have fun with the count, what time of the day is the best time to, to see the most birds and the most activity at my feeders? And and like Brian's saying, I'm, I, I know Brian and I pretty much maintain our feeders 24-7, 365. So it's not it's not that I'm right. going to change things a whole lot because it, it, it I've already got it pretty much maxed out uh, in the way, you know, it's best for the birds and, and my watching those birds. But it, just like this morning, up early, you know, first light, I've got a window feeder with bark butter bits in it. And my bluebirds, I have, as the winter goes along, I get more and more bluebirds and i'm probably looking at a dozen and a half to even two dozen bluebirds and first thing in the morning you know if i'm up and first thing in the morning and put those bark butter bits out there it is a mob of bluebirds and here's another piece of that you guys take photos you know i can submit a photo and you know that's a photo i want to get i want to take a picture of this gang of bluebirds coming to my feeders first thing in the morning and submit that as part of my documentation on, on eBird or, or wherever, you know, might be. So it, it, those are the kind of things that maybe start thinking about, you know, am I, do I want to do that? You know, what time of day do I want to count? What's the best time of the day for the best activity? And yes, have your feeders all ready to go at least a week early so you can kind of see that. Nice. I'm jealous you get bluebirds. I've seen them perched around here right now in the winter mm -hmm. time but i've not been able to lure them into my feeders so well done yeah it took it uh, i've lived in the same place for 30 years so it took a many many year i they, they were in the area and i've heard them but it just took me many but once i've gotten them boy i tell you what they are gangbusters and every winter they're as dependable as they can be and and again it's a kind of an interesting thing i think as the the natural food supply starts to dwindle a little bit i see more and more activity at my feeders and and uh, the numbers are astounding. And there's nothing cooler than looking out that window and seeing the sea of bluebirds in your backyard. That is so cool. It's pretty magical. And yeah. I've had yeah. the similar situation. It, it took a long time, but once they are established, you just keep the food out. Um, water is a huge attractant for them too. Having a bird bath, um, they like to take those drinks um, and on a little bit warmer days, warm comparatively wherever you are. They, they still need to keep there. Their yeah. feathers clean, uh, but they water's a big attractant to them too. Uh, that sunflower chips, bark butter bits, but I think a little bit of I dried fruit other, too. Yeah, the other piece that Brian and I talk about all the time anymore is habitat. You know, doing mm -hmm. native plants and and bird attracting and and uh, food plants for birds, and and that probably was the thing that changed the the game in my backyard. I pulled out all my non-native shrubbery and everything else and put in. Uh, you know, winterberry holly and things like that. And those red winterberry hollies, man, bluebirds love those things. And I think that was the, the thing that, that changed the game and brought them very close to my house and helped them discover the feeders too. So that was pretty cool. 
Nice. Good for you, Jeff. That's my other hat that I love to wear at the lab yeah. is um, encouraging people to do habitat. And now that you mention it, maybe that's why my winter berries were like stripped overnight. Yeah. Yeah. One day I went out, they were full yeah. and flush and there were bluebirds around yeah. and then they were gone. So maybe they that was love my those things. Yeah, yeah. See, they it love worked. those things. Yeah. It does. It worked. <laughs> it worked. So I, I'm not sure we have actually told anyone when is the Great Backyard Bird Count this year? <laughs> We're so excited. <laughs> oh, well, uh, the Great Backyard Bird Con always runs over what's called what's considered President's Day weekend in the United States or Family Weekend um, in Canada. So this year it is February 17th through the 20th. But if listeners hear this later, always know it's over that four day well, it's a, usually a three-day uh, weekend in both Canada and North America, President's Day or Family Day weekend. But GBBC running those four days. And yes, if you're listening in and it's after that time frame, you can always still use any of the apps, eBird, Merlin, and just watch feeder birds or where, wherever you're watching birds, go out on a hike. You can still submit that data because that data is still important. All right. Well, anything else? Any last minute things? That was a good catch, Brian. Thank you. <laughs> Any other amazingly <laughs> obvious things that we've forgotten to share with people? <laughs> nope, I don't. I don't think so. I, I just hope that your listeners are excited about uh, about whatever birds. And oh, one will, one thing I will say that does come up frequently with people is, gosh darn it, I had bluebirds, for example, last week, and they're not here. I'm not mm -hmm. seeing them over um, GBBC. I I totally feel that pain. I have this sneaking <laughs> suspicion my evening growth beaks are going to disappear before GBBC weekend myself. It's okay. Um, as Brian said, if you want to log in later and tell us that. We actually take um, submissions for those four days. It has to be a, an observation over those four days. So maybe you don't see them Friday, but you see them Monday. Um, tell us about them um, and report those. But it is true that birds are dynamic and sometimes our favorite ones that we're really looking forward to reporting don't happen over those four days. Um, log in and tell us anyway, um, but obviously be accurate about the date with which you saw them. Well, I will definitely put in the show notes some of the things we've been talking about, links to places, links to birdcount.org for the Great Backyard Bird Count. Uh, we actually did uh, episode 47, so anyone can go back and listen about the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and the tools like eBird and Merlin if you want to learn a little bit more or, you know, just be adventurous and go download them. But we'll have links in the show notes for where to find all of those things. All right. Well, it sounds like we've done a good job of letting everybody know what the Great Backyard Bird Count is all about and how they can jump on board and have a great time doing it, uh, either by themselves or with family or whoever they want to do it with and wherever they want to do it with. And and uh, how much fun is that to think about it as a global, global event? That is just mind-boggling. So. Congratulations, Becca. Thank you so much for being on board with us today and coming and being brave enough to come back for a second uh, show with us. And, right. and we thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, John and Brian, for having me. And I got some feeder tips from you, so I'm looking forward to trying some of those. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, it is really cool that birds really do bring the world together. And you can really be a part of that by participating in GBBC. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. And please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Absolutely. And so until the next time when we're going to talk about, guess what, bluebirds 
And we'll cover those backyard buddies a little bit more in detail. But until then, Brian and I, as always, are going to continue to let nature be our guide. So please, take care, be safe, and keep those feeders clean. Thanks for joining us, everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, for show notes, or to find the Wild Birds Unlimited store near you, visit wbu.com slash podcast. And we really appreciate you telling your friends about Nature Centered. But until next time, we hope you find a moment every day to relax and enjoy the birds.